Let's, uh, let's get into the Word. Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible or if you have a phone, I encourage you to open it because we're going to bounce around the book of Corinthians. And so I would really encourage you to, uh, to open it up. I'm going to do just that myself. And the first chapter, um, this first verse is what I planned on teaching. And then as I studied... I just felt like, oh, there's more good stuff, and then there's more, and I kept adding to the list, and then I found myself, like, going through the whole book of 1 Corinthians, so that's what we're going to do today, uh, so put your seatbelts on, but um, what I really want to want to say is the church in Corinth had some situations, had some issues that Paul was addressing, and they're very common for the church even today. Uh, Corinth was a church that was a port city, like Portland, um, and so it had a lot of commerce. It brought a lot of people who traveled. It was also um, it was also a city that was very entertaining. There was lots of different things you could do for entertainment, for education. Philosophers would come and teach, and if they went into like a theater or an amphitheater, I mean, some of these guys you would have to pay just to listen to them. Like it was a big deal. And so Corinth was definitely an influential city. Paul, Paul wrote these letters to Corinth when he was in Ephesus, across the sea, another port city, another very important um, city in, in, in the early church planting you know, world. And so the church got started. And then as what happens with a lot of churches, it gets kind of entangled in religion and in, in, in following Jesus in the world and other philosophies and traditions, and they become kind of this big snowball that gets packed. And Paul's going, you guys are kind of missing the mark a little bit. Let me set you straight. I think these words are very relevant for us today, and I hope you find some things that are both personal but also corporate in application. Um, and so let me read from 1 Corinthians, first chapter, starting with verse 18 says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Say power of God with me. Power of God. For those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wise, the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. It goes on to say, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It goes on to say this. This is a unique and important part of this letter. We each have been given gifts. We each have a purpose that God has given us as our creator. You each have a talent or talents spiritual gifts. He says to them, verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. 
Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God, one of my favorite statements in Scripture, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And then lower in verse 31, so that as it is written, let no one who boasts boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So what we're hearing here is that we all have a calling and that we all have a part to play. And then we need to consider those things to build up the body. But what happened here in Corinth is a lot of people really liked to do what's very common in culture. They like to choose favorites. They like to pick one teacher over another. You know, it goes on in this, in this text, in this letter to say, well, some follow Apollo, some follow Paul, some follow Cephas. Others say Christ is who they follow. Paul's going, you guys are missing the mark. It's Christ alone. If you're going to boast, if you're going to look good, if you're going to puff yourself up, it better be in Christ, not yourself. And so even as I read that in these past couple weeks preparing for this, I felt even led to make this a little bit more matter-of-fact sermon. I want to read more scripture. I want to share an observation, and I want to go back to the Word. So that's my heart today. Um, So... Before we do that, I think one of the things that we have to do as a church is we have to know each other's story. We have to recognize people where God is working, and we have to share it because you can kind of get, it can be contagious. It can be something that you see and find and go, I want to hear more about this. And so I've invited Josh to come up and share a little testimony. He's got the mic, and he's going to share a little bit about what God's been doing uh, in his life. So, Josh, would you give it up for my friend Josh? Thanks for having me here. Um, I just want to speak a little bit on the word of uh, deliverance. So I know for myself, um, I've came a long way after 37 years. And so um, I just want to start off in um, Galatians uh, 5.1. And it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then do not let your, yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Um, So I just want to continue into that saying, um, try not to get emotional, but um, I felt like after 37 years, I was a Christian. Um, I went through the motions uh, as a young kid and got baptized and thought I was good to go. my parents would take me every day and or every Sunday, and um, I was golden. Um, and of course, that was a lie, you know, um, just doing the religious thing. And so, for me, um, I kind of fell into a pit of um, partying in my early twenties, and I fell into some dark stuff as far as um, some sexual sin and some other things um, that was um, not leading me in the direction of Christ. And I felt that um, I kind of bounced around from church to church, trying to find where he was and couldn't find him. And it took me into my first marriage and um, just kind of crushed that 
And then I moved on to my second marriage, bringing that stuff in. And I knew that was unhealthy. And so um, one night I was just at work and just thinking about everything that had happened to me and um, the path that I was taking. And it finally hit me where I needed to meet him halfway. I needed to trust in him and have faith in him. And so I just broke down. I just cried out his name and said, take this away from me. And it was like an instant. I started bawling. I just hit my knees and it, I don't know, it just felt like everything was gone. Um, and so at that point, uh, the next morning, I called up my wife. I actually got home and she was saying, man, you look different. You are a different person. You changed. And I knew I had changed um, for the better because I knew he was, he was in me now. Um, and so I felt like he led me to it was like shooting, getting shot out of a cannon, like everything all at once. And so um, I dove into the word as much as I could. And I just kept praying and just trusting in him that he would give me a sign and understand that um, what he wants me to do in my life for him. Um, and I believe that it is the ministry. And so, um, been starting to take classes and just trusting in him that he will provide things for me that I need to learn. And uh, yeah, just I got with Jason and started, you know, working with him as far as um, starting up a Bible study and just um, acquiring all that knowledge and all that um, just love that he has for us. Um, yeah, it's amazing. So I feel that it's definitely something that you need, need to do in your personal lives, that you need to meet him halfway and trust in him that he will provide. He will provide that love and security and peace. Um, yeah. I got a question for you. So you prayed... You were going through the motions as a kid all the way up into your 20s. Yes. Yeah, you kind of felt like, let me put this right here. Um, and then something happened. First marriage, now you're, you're in your second. And then it just felt like, where do you work? I work at the Oregon Air National Guard as an aircraft mechanic. Um, so at an early age, I joined the military. And so, um, yeah, I just kind of bounced around from job to job as far as uh, helping people. So um, I felt that was a calling for me to help the people that I am surrounded with, yeah. um, especially with uh, you know, first responders, law enforcement. I was a firefighter at one point. And so um, even the military, I feel that they need somebody to stand up for them and reach out to them and yeah. So you were delivered. You prayed for deliverance. You prayed for uh, just kind of like the ability to, to, not, to let, not let the past determine your future you know, when it right. comes to you know, sin and things that you believed that were not true about yourself. Right. You got delivered. And right? I kind of overlooked the deliverance part, but uh, bear with me. 
Um, so I kind of went down a rabbit hole, I guess, per se, um, as far as YouTube and looked into, I mean, it just popped up. So basically, um, the deliverance ministry that is on fire right now um, within a lot of churches. And I believe that um, Christ was calling me to um, seek that. And so I told my wife, and she was actually the first one to suggest it, um, that we go up and um, went to Tri-Cities and found a pastor that did that. And so, um, yeah, it was amazing. So um, as soon as I went there, I thought uh, internally I was dealing with um, issues of just fear um, because I know that standing up here was not something that I am comfortable with. So um, I felt like that was one of the things that he had kind of spoken to me about. But as soon as I got up there, um, you know, everybody has their own situation. Everybody has their own um, thing with God. And so, you know, people manifesting around and um, getting delivered. And as soon as I walked up, I just surrendered it to him. And um, I thought I was, you know, letting him take that fear away. But as soon as somebody, it was someone, just said, relax. 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 What happened? I dropped my hands and just bawled. I haven't cried in, like, years before that. And I just felt that overwhelming peace in my life. I mean, I just, it was awesome. So here's what's unique, church. Uh, Josh feels, you know, prayed for deliverance, prayed, and then relax. Holy Spirit. Right, and, and then deliverance happened, right? Correct, yeah. But then what's unique to that is that, you know, Jesus says, I have come to set the captives free. But he hasn't just come to set us free. He has set us to call us to our original purpose, that we all have been called. I just read it, what Paul said to the church. You, for, don't forget your calling. And so immediately after, really, deliverance, you felt a call yes. to ministry. And ministry to first responders, ministry to men, ministry to, that that's just going to have a bigger blanket. You don't even know really what that picture, it's almost like we're on a, in a boat and we're looking at the shore. Right. And it's a little, maybe a little cloudy, a little yeah. misty. But as we get closer to shore, things are coming into more clarity. Yes, and I believe if you trust in the Holy Spirit, he will lead you each and every day. He led me to Jason, and I've been eternally grateful for the guidance and everything that he's um, been putting in my life. Um, just this past couple of weeks, uh, we went to, um, you know, kind of a men's getaway. And so um, it was presented by Gentle Lion, and I felt like that was home. That was ministering to guys that needed help and needed a hand, you know. Um, because he calls us, he has a purpose for each and every one of us. And we just need to trust in him that he will show us. Um, yeah. You have a scripture you feel allowed to share? Um, so. Go preach it, brother. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Uh, if I can find it. Okay. Um, so the premise of this was right after Christ has risen, uh, he went to his disciples and told them to um, 
So it says, He has said to them, Go into the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes and with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick, and they will get well. Mm. I believe that yeah. wholeheartedly. So we got that going for us. Yes. <laughs> Why don't you say a prayer for just the church here, just to, for us to really sense God's unique calling on each of us. Because he's, what he's done in you and he's doing in you is going to be contagious because the Holy Spirit is an equal opportunity employer. And he is going to continue to inspire. So please pray. Yes. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many blessings that you have given our lives each and every one of those days. And we pray, Lord, that we would just put two feet in and just follow you mm-hmm. 100%. Not 99%, but 100% that we would just look towards you and have your Holy Spirit guide us down that path, that whatever purpose you have for us, that you would just speak to us and that we would just um, just continue to lift your name up and just meet you halfway. Mm-hmm. That we would just do this, that we would just have this personal relationship with you that we would just push everything aside, that nothing else matters but you. And I just feel this, and thank you. And we pray in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All God's people said? Amen. Right. Thank you, Reverend Joshua. Good word, brother. Now, there's a few other things I want to share. Um, John Mark Comer is a pastor here in Portland, and um, he, he has a couple observations on this text. He says there's two dangers to the church. It's the same message that Paul was given to Corinth. He, you know, Paul, John here, John Mark kind of, I'm just going to quote him. The church is meant to thrive. It should be filled with life, vitality, and the spirit. Corinth was a port city ruled by the Roman Empire. Now, There were powerful teachers. There were miracles. There were healings. There were people who spoke in tongues, people who gave prophecies over individuals and the church. The church in Corinth saw many signs and miracles. But there are two dangers we must overcome or avoid unless we fall into the same trap the church in Corinth did. The first danger is consumerism. Consumerism. We eat, sleep, and breathe consumerism in America. In the United States, our entire economy is built upon consumerism. Following the attacks on September 11th, what did the president say? He told people, go shopping. Because consumerism is the air we breathe. We are blind to how heinous it is. We bring this heart posture over into the church. And this, John Mark continues, generally speaking, most people don't attend a church gathering to give, but to receive. Think of the Christianized phrase, I'm fed here. How do you go to church there? I'm fed. 
Why did you leave that last church? I wasn't fed. I still can't exactly figure out what people even mean by that. It's clear it's a metaphor. It has something to do with the teaching. I think it's just a means they do or do not like it. The gatherings are designed to equip the people of God, but I don't want to go away from the church being fed. I want to go away hungry. I want you to go away hungry, he says, and thirsty for more, to live the kingdom of God in community and in your neighborhood. This is why missional communities and, and things we do outside the church are important because they're full. They're a full frontal assault on the gods of American culture. Community takes on individualism. Mission takes on consumerism. So he says, give your life away for the good of your community. Doing that in community is the antithesis of American culture. It is the way of Jesus. Give yourself away. Don't think of church as the spiritual equivalent of a Dairy Queen, with everyone getting their favorite treats and flavors. Think of the church as your family. Hopefully you like it. Maybe you don't. Either way, you're in it. So for many of us, this isn't just how we think about church. And because of that, church often has a little small effect on us. Mark Sayers is a writer and pastor in uh, Melbourne, Australia. He has this to say um, in his book, The Vertical Self. The elephant in the living room of contemporary Christianity is people's ability to simply sit in church, to consume the experience the way one would a great sporting event or a thrilling movie or an exciting theme park ride, and then dispose of it, totally unchanged at the soul level. As they leave the sanctuary, sure, they might feel challenged, they might feel encouraged or even moved, but the horizontal self simply feels the experience and then moves on. He goes on to write that in a consumer-based church, this is what happens. Worship becomes a pseudo-media event. Church buildings become a theme park. Christian leaders become Christian celebrities. Teaching becomes entertainment. Salvation becomes self-help. Ouch. Discipleship becomes lifestyle enhancement. Soul becomes self. Church becomes a brand, and the gospel becomes a slogan. And so if we want to become the kind of church Jesus had in mind, consumerism has to die. I think what he's saying is come ready to give, not receive. The second danger John Mark talks about, we must confront, is the American obsession with order. I have an app in my phone that's called Planning Center, and it's where we plan everything for service. We plan everything from the order of worship to who's going to do the prayer and the announcements down to who's teaching, and it's just... Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It actually is very helpful. But what we can also do is we can plan the Holy Spirit out of the service, and so as a church, we must be willing and ready to always allow the Spirit to move. That is important in the church. We script almost everything in our lives. Some of us, uh, OCD, control freaks. Just a few of us? Two of us, really? Yes. We want to make the miraculous normal again. Not just, whoa, that just happened once in a while. We want more of the Spirit of God. So the church must be more than willing to go off script. We want the pneuma, which stands for the wind of the Spirit. Fresh wind. 
Consumerism and the obsession with order can quickly kill the church. So we must allow generosity and the direction of the Spirit to become the new normal. So, in verse, let's see, chapter 4 in 1 Corinthians uh, verses 1 and 2. I want to share that with you. It says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ, stewards. Everyone say stewards. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So the question is, are you a faithful steward of the mysteries of God? The mystery of the gospel is Christ in us. And so if we're being a good steward of the gospel or the mysteries of God, then we're being a good steward for Christ. Are you being a good steward? I think we need to learn as a church, and I need to learn how to steward my influence even better. I need to look for open doors. I need to look for opportunities, not the big ones, even the little nudges of the Holy Spirit. Pick up that trash. Say hello to that person in the store. Little things make up something bigger. So um, here's an observation on that. Apostles are like household managers whose job it is to look after the silverware, administer the domestic accounts of the house. God's mysteries are like a rich storehouse of treasures to be used appropriately. Apostles and teachers don't own the treasure. They're merely, they merely have to do what they're told. Pastors aren't the leaders of the church. Jesus Christ is the head. And as staff and as pastors, we must learn to listen and obey what Christ is saying. Once that is clear, Paul states a remarkable principle. Christian workers should expect to be judged by the Lord himself, a higher standard, and should not regard human tribunals, human committees as of any particular importance. What he's saying is you should, you should be paying more attention to your eternal reward than the reward of the applause of man. Or men. Chapter 13, let's bounce back over to chapter 13. Paul has a whole bunch to say about the church and all kinds of situations. But in chapter 13, it's actually the end of chapter 12, starting with verse 27. It says, um, 12, 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping administrating, and various kinds of tongues. He just kind of went through the list right there. Verse 29, are all people apostles? Rhetorical question. Are all people prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Then he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Here's what was happening. The church in Corinth had some pretty, like, talented people. They had people that could speak, and people would go, whoa, they are so good. That's why some people are like, I prefer Apollos. Others are like, no, man, Paul's the best. Dude, have you heard Cephas? Dude, Cephas was killing it last night. People, then others are like, well, you know, remember Christ? <laughs> remember that guy? You know, but it was like the, the, the popularity of the moment was bigger than the, the overall, right? The, the bigger than the, the, they were minoring 
um, on the minors. They were majoring in the minors, is what I wanted to say. And so the, it was a popularity contest. So, he, but, so Paul's saying, listen, everybody has their own role. Is everyone supposed to be a teacher? No. Everyone's supposed to be an apostle? No. But everyone has a role to play in the body of Christ. And so therefore, one is not more important than the other. You might be a, a big toe in the body. But guess what? If you're hurting, you ever stub your big toe? It becomes a pretty important deal. You're important. Okay? I, I'm happy just to be a big toe. I'm happy. I mean, I kind of look like one. And so, not that funny, okay? wasn't that funny. Don't make me start making fun of the bears. Um, yeah, that's right. So listen, he's trying to show that, like, all these different things go together and that we're better together. We're a big Christian gumbo soup, you know? And then he goes this, I will still show you a more excellent way. He's leading into the segue is of what we know and hear at a lot of weddings. Chapter 13, First Corinthians. It's the chapter of love. Now, before we get there, an observation N.T. Wright shares on this is um, the ministry of fresh, prayerful reading of Scripture coupled with a desire to think through the practical, social, and cultural issues facing the church as well as the great theological questions, of course, is really still urgent. It's needed in the church. We must think through how Scripture affects and applies to life and greater things. But Paul urges the Corinthians to seek such gifts for the building up of the whole church. And there is every reason for Christians today, too, to pray for such gifts and to seek to bring them to maturity. You see, you've been given a gift the question he's asking, and the question I'm begging today, is are you going to exercise that gift? Josh is in the beginning of a new ministry calling. And God's called me to come alongside. And I want to take him as high as I can up that mountain. But I can only, like, I got to go the way before I show the way. I can only take him as far as I've gone. And I want to go past the foothills. I want to get up into that rare air. You know what I'm saying? I want to get close to the peak and to the height. And I know that I can get people there. I can help. But I have to take care of myself, too. I have to be, my inner man must grow before my outer man shows it. It's important. And so I think that's what we're talking about. So he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers... And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Do you see how these words come to life with the understanding of what was going on in this church? That he's saying, you might be able to speak good, but if you don't have love, you're just, a, you're just background noise. You're a distraction. So he's trying to give them that point of like, don't forget. Don't bring it to yourself. You're going to boast, boast about Christ, boast in Christ. He goes on to say, uh, verse 3, If I give away all I have and I, I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Verse 8, I skip to verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, 
they will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. In verse 13, what will remain? So now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is what, church? Is love. Is love. And so I pick up in verse four, or chapter 14, verse 23. Paul's talking about prophecy. He's talking about tongues. He's talking about how to understand them and what, who they're for. That a speaking in, in tongues, if you've experienced it, there's typically an interpretation for the church, for the body. And a prophecy can be for an individual. It can also be for the church. And so he's trying to help them understand what the purpose is. What's the motive of these things? And he says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter the church, just imagine that. Someone's walking through the doors and everyone's going off in tongues. That might be a little unsettling. But he goes on to say, they will, not, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy, if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. The reason Paul said that is there were a lot of different places you could go in Corinth to hear really beautiful orators, really beautiful people reciting poetry and sharing about the social events of the day. And you would be moved. And you'd have to pay to get into some of those, right? But he's saying what would change a person's life is if you actually knew something about them. If God revealed something, a prophecy that spoke to them, it would be different. It would be set apart from all the other things the world offers. And so he's saying God's different. And then he talks about orderly worship in verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together... Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation. I read this earlier in worship. A tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up of the saints. I want to close with this. The final chapter 16. Chapter 15, verse 55, it says, Death is swallowed up in victory. He's quoting the Old Testament. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? My dad was a carpenter. My dad worked with his hands. He had these big mitts. He was five foot seven. He wasn't a big, big guy, tall guy. But he had these huge hands, and his hands were like one giant callus, just huge. And I remember uh, driving to church one day as a little kid, six, seven, and somehow into the, into the car, um, uh, like a bee came in, like a hornet. And it was pretty big. I mean, I was six, so it was probably just this big, but it was still a bee. And I remember freaking out 
I'm freaking out. My mom's freaking out. And my dad's just driving. He's like, just calm down. Just don't move. It'll go away. You know, and it's like buzzing, right? You know, and I'm freaking out. Finally, my dad reaches back, grabs the hornet. It was like on my shoulder. Grabs the bee. Just holds it in his hand. And he kind of lets it out the window. And it flew away. Like I thought he was going to crush it. I didn't know at that moment but he let the bee sting him, right? And when he released it, it wasn't a threat to me anymore. Now, I didn't know that. But later, like my mom's like, did you know that bee stung dad? You know, stung him in the hand? And he's like, yeah, he didn't even feel it hardly, right? Jesus takes the sting out of death by what he did on the cross. Oh, death, where is your sting? He took the pain and the sting away so that we could have hope for life eternal with him. And so I hope and trust, and I encourage you today, that I not only put your faith in him, but if you need to be delivered, if you need to, to overcome something that's an obstacle or a stumbling block for you, get prayer today. Come, come forward and let's pray that away. Let's deliver you from the chains of addiction, of pornography. Let's be delivered from the, the, the lies the enemy tries to plant. Let's let God do what he wants to do in this church. Amen? And so Jesus, thank you for uh, not only providing a pathway that your death and resurrection, um, Lord, you're gonna come again. There's gonna be a trumpet that sounds and we are gonna be new creations in an instant. God, we believe and we trust, Lord Jesus, that you, Master Jesus, that you want us to have victory now, victory today, not just in that day, but for today. You didn't come for us to, to limp to the finish line, but Lord, you want us to stand firm. You want us to be strong. And Lord, in, in, in Philippians 4, 13, that I can do all things. Say all things, church. All things in Christ who gives me strength. So Jesus, we're asking for strength. We're asking for healing. We're asking for deliverance from the things that hinder us. Let us strip those things off in Jesus' name. Let us run the race that is before us. Let us finish strong. And let's be on watch like a guard over our, our hearts, over our families, over our church and our community. Let us be watchmen for you, Jesus. Amen? Amen.